morning, River Church. Good morning. I am excited to be here with you guys. It's always a good time to get to be here with you and, and, uh, and uh, talk to you about Jesus. Um, if you have your Bibles today, you can open them up to John chapter 11. If not, that's okay. We'll have them up here. Um, it's great. Every time I preach to you, it feels like there's more people in here, which is a, a testament to what God's doing in our church um, and in our lives as a, as a church family. Um, so some of you might not know it. Some of you may. I'm, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, a lot of you might know, Michael and I grew up together. Uh, from the time we were little kids, grew up in the same church together. Um, what you probably don't know is that we are on the very illustrious and very esteemed kids' Bible trivia team together. So y'all probably all feel better about us being pastors now that you know that we're on a... And uh, it was kind of cool because uh, we got a chance to go all over the South. We went to Mississippi and, and competed against all these other kids in, in Bible knowledge. We came in second. We got cheated. I'm not bitter about it. I'm not going to talk about it. It's 25 years ago. It'd be stupid to still be... I know. But I thought it'd be fun today to kind of wake everybody up. To get, let me give you a couple of these questions we used to, uh, to walk through back then, huh? How about this? So if you have the answers, why don't you shout it out? How many books are in the Bible? 66. Man, all you guys got that. 66 books in the Bible. Um, the two birds that Noah sent out from the ark. A raven. Man, y'all are just, I'm, y'all are oldest person in the Bible. Methuselah. These are not hard for y'all at all. Uh, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Man, good job. You guys are, y'all, y'all got some, some Bible. Y'all could have competed with us, I think. Um. So a couple weeks ago, I was going through my quiet time, and uh, I wake up real early before I have three kids, so I try to get up before anybody else does and uh, have a, a quiet house to, to, to read, and I couldn't decide what I wanted to read that morning. Normally, I like to read through Psalms or Proverbs, but this morning, I, I just couldn't decide what to read, and, and God brought me that verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And I thought, I've read that story a bunch of times, but I'm um, sure, why not? I'll read it again. And God did something that he always does. Um, which is where you read something that you've read a bunch, and all of a sudden something new pops out at you. And that's why, uh, this isn't in my notes, but that's why I always you know, tell people, and Mike's always said this, that if you don't feel like you're close to God, if you feel like God's distant, you haven't heard from him, get in his word. Because the Bible says that this is a living, breathing thing, that God speaks to us through this, that Jesus' words are for us now, not just something printed on pages, Right? And uh, he, God does some really cool things where you can read something you've read a, a hundred times, and all of a sudden you read it, and something jumps out at you that you hadn't been expecting. And that's what happened this morning, I, uh, this particular morning. I was um, reading, and uh, I was like, man, this would, this would preach. And I'm writing things down, and about 30 minutes later, Mike texts me and Joel and says, hey, can one of you guys preach on the 20th? And I said, I, you know what, I, I literally just had a sermon that God brought to me. So I, I tell you all that to tell you that I really believe that this sermon is for you today. This sermon is for me today. That God brought this sermon to my mind and my heart specifically for this morning. So um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to do um, a kind of preaching where we're just going to walk through this story, the story of Lazarus. Maybe you guys know it. And I'm going to come back and talk about some things, and we'll pray, and, and I'll get you out of here. But if you have your Bibles, um, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Um, context is important. I always say context is important when you know what's going on. Um, Jesus is, is fully engaged in his ministry at this point. Um, in fact, the Pharisees have tried to kill Jesus three times at this point, uh, or the Jews have tried to kill Jesus three times at this point. They've tried to arrest him or stone him. Um, at the Feast of the Tabernacles a couple chapters earlier, they tried to arrest him and stone him, and then uh, later, actually at Hanukkah, they do the same thing. They try to arrest him and stone him. So um, Jesus has been staying away from Judea, away from Jerusalem, because he knows that if, they, if he gets close, 
They're going to try to arrest him and kill him. And this is just a few months before the spring uh, when Jesus goes to the cross. So um, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, there's going to be three main characters here. There's Jesus, but the three other characters are, are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, Mary, it's a really cool story in the Bible. Mary's the woman who, when Jesus goes to somebody's house, um, she comes in and she washes his feet with her tears, dries his feet uh, with her hair, and kisses his feet and puts perfume on it. And Jesus forgives her of the sins. It's, it's an amazing story. Um, Martha, we'll kind of talk about it later. Martha's the older sister. She's the one who kind of runs things, keeps things in check. And Lazarus, we haven't heard about until this story, but that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't know him. Because the first time they describe Lazarus, it says, the one you love. Um, so a lot of the commentaries I read said that Jesus was probably very close with this family. In fact, he probably, when he came through the area, he probably stayed at their house, taught with them, um, broke bread with them, loved this family. So um, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews have tried to stone you and you're going to go there again? Jesus responded, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way there to wake him up. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. But they thought he was talking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad for you that I wasn't there, so that you may believe it. But let us go to him. So then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us go with him so we may die too. Which I, which I love, because Thomas kind of gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas, right? But I love that comedy. He's like, well, I guess we're, if you're going to go, we'll just go with you and die with you. All right? So Jesus is far away. Jesus is teaching. He gets word that his friend is sick, and he stays for two more days, and then he says, let us go back. Um, we, let's keep going. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, <clears throat> my brother would not have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. <clears throat> Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus responded, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and told her sister Mary, staying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not come yet into the village, but there was still a place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her, consoling her, saw that Mary was, got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry. 
As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him. He fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come along crying, he was deeply moved and his spirit and troubled. Where did you put him? He asked, Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. There it is. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. There was a, a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been in there for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, that you may believe, or that those may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. I love the ending of that. Unwrap him and let him go. Another uh, version says, take the grave clothes off him and let him free. Right? Unwrap. What a crazy story. What a great story. Um, and you've probably heard that story and read it a bunch. But when I read that, several things jumped out at me. Um, so if you, have your, if you can take notes, you can use a communication card, you can write them on your phone, but I have, I have three notes for you. Um, the first one that we see in the story, number one, God's delay does not mean God's denial. God's delay does not mean God's denial. We see back in verse 5 and 6 that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed for two more days. Is that weird, deal? Is that kind of strange? It says, the one you love is sick. And then the Bible says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so he stayed two more days. Isn't that interesting? Why? You know, Mary and Martha probably felt, I mean, desperate. They knew the only person that could save their brother was Jesus. They probably felt abandoned, forgotten. Why would he not move when they needed him? Um, if you look at verse 4, Jesus already knew the end result. He says, the sickness will not result in death. Jesus knew what was going to happen. So why didn't he move? Um, it's probably a truth that some of you have had to learn and if you haven't yet, you probably will. That God's timing does not match up with our timing. Right? God's timing does not match up with our timing because God is working to glorify the Father, but also edify us. Anytime we have to wait, anytime God makes us wait, it's so that God will receive glory and that we will be sanctified, that we will grow. So what is he doing to Mary and Martha? Why would he make them wait? Right? Um, there's a really cool thing, and this is one of those things that, that when you start getting into to scripture and you, and you really you know, pick, a, pick a section of it and you're just going to deep dive it, you, you find stuff out like this. Um, in the Jewish tradition, there, there was something called ben kefir. And that was this belief that the Jews had that a spirit would hover around the body for three days. And that after three days, if, the, if it could not re-enter the body, it would be gone. All hope would be lost. Y'all remember what day Jesus showed up? Four days. So Jesus waited until he knew that, hey, you guys can't point to this being a superstition. You can't point to the body hovering around the, or the soul hovering around the body. This is because of me, because I hold the keys to life and death. Now, Jesus stepped in when there was no hope to bring hope. The, in fact, it says that in the Jewish tradition that at day three, uh, it was the height of grief. That in your third day, all hope was gone if the spirit had not reentered the body. So they would constantly go to the tomb and, and check. Is he awake? Has he come back? 
And after day three, you don't, you don't really go back because there's no, there's no hope, right? There's no hope. Um, sometimes when God makes us wait, it's to stretch us, but it's also to make us play a part in something bigger than we know. And I was, I was writing this down, I was thinking about it. He gives Mary and Martha a chance to take place in a story that's going to be told for centuries and centuries and centuries after. That believers will point to and say, I know that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead because I saw him raise this man from the dead. In fact, the story goes on to say that those who saw believed, right? And Jesus says to his disciples, I'm glad you weren't there. That way, that way you may believe. Because he could have easily just, he didn't have to be there. He didn't have to be there to heal Lazarus. He could have done it from afar. Right? We see that in the Bible other times. He said, go back, your, your son is healed. But here he, he wanted to make sure that people knew that, hey, I get the last day in life and death. I am the one. And he gives Mary and Martha a chance to play a, a part in a story that's way bigger than, than they were. And that's what he does with us. And you might be here today and you might be waiting. And I, I've beaten that dead horse every time I preach, but I, I, I have known what it is to wait on God. But I can promise you that if you're in a, in, a, in a spot where you are waiting and praying and you might feel like God's not near, that God's delay does not mean his denial, that he is working in your life. A.W. Tozer, um, who I love, he, he puts it like this. Whenever God begins something, we have the assurance that he will finish it. Nothing will stand in the way of him, if, <clears throat> of him accomplishing his purpose in the world and in our lives. What God starts, he finishes. And nobody can hinder him. Sure, delays will happen. Just remember, God is in charge of the delays as well as the progress. God's denial does not mean, God's delay does not mean God's denial. Point two, if you're taking them down, <clears throat> our faith should be the same at the tomb. <clears throat> our faith should be the same at the tomb. Um, when I first, honestly, the, the, the whole thing that made me want to write the sermon was Martha. It's funny because Martha kind of gets a bad rep. <clears throat> um, if you, I told my wife I was going to preach on this, and I said, you know, I was telling her stories, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. She's, oh, yeah, Mary and Martha. Yeah, they say, uh, what do they say? Don't be, don't be like Martha, be like Mary. I'd never heard that before. I'd never heard that. I was like, what is, what is that? She's like, I was like, that's a saying that people say? Don't be like Martha, be like Mary. And it, it comes from the story um, when Jesus goes to Martha's house, and Martha's busy serving and getting the house ready and making food, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet listening. And Martha's just doing all this work on her own, probably like a lot of us can relate to. And she goes to Jesus, says, can you please tell my sister to help? Like, I'm trying to do this stuff for you and your disciples. And she's sitting here, and Jesus says, she's chosen the wise thing. She's chosen what's more important to sit and listen to me than to try to serve. Right? So Martha kind of gets a bad rep. Um, but I, I wrote this down because I love her faith when, we see, when she sees Jesus. She hears that Jesus is coming, and what does she do? She runs to meet him. She runs before he's even where they are. She runs out to meet him. Um, and let's look at, I'll, let me read back, if, verse 21. We'll read that exchange again. Um, verse 21, then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. I love that. I love that. I love the picture of faith, of her hearing that her friend has come, who 
Remember, we said she probably felt abandoned or forgotten. She runs to Jesus. She runs to Jesus. And she says, I know if you'd been here, I know if you'd been here, it would have been okay. But I also know that even right now, whatever you ask, God will give you. Right, what, a, what an amazing picture. Um, but, but a few verses later, she goes to the tomb. But she says that. And she says, yeah, whatever you say. And Jesus says, I, he makes this amazing Burton makes an amazing statement, I am the resurrection and the life. He's like, I am the resurrection and the life. And she says, I believe that you are the Son of God. Anything you ask will happen. A couple verses later, we get to the tomb, and Jesus says, open up the tomb. And what does she say? Oh, 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 oh hang on, hang on. There's, a, there's a, a stench, there's a dead body in there, and that dead body's been there for four days, and that would be kind of a bad look for our family, bad look for Lazarus, we don't want to disturb. What happened? What happened? A few verses ago, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Um, everyone who believes in me will not perish. I believe that. I know that whatever you ask of God, it will be done. What happened? And when I read that, I said, man, that's, that's us a lot, right? It's because it's not that Martha doesn't believe in God. It's not that Martha doesn't believe in what Jesus is telling her. It's that Martha believes it. But she's like, I don't understand how you're going to make this thing happen. Right? Jesus says, your brother will rise again. He doesn't say your brother's going to rise again one day. He says, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. He says, I know one day, one day, everyone will rise again to meet you. I get that. She misses out on what Jesus is, is telling her. She misses out on the comfort that Jesus is giving her because her mind is too busy going, doesn't make doesn't make sense. It can't happen. Right? She's missing out on something God's trying to do because of a smell that she's worried about in the tomb. Martha misses on what Jesus is doing here. And one of the commentaries I read said, how and why matters belong to God. It is his business to arrange the matters to fulfill his promises. Here we see Jesus doing a miracle, and Martha's too worried about the tomb and the smell to see it. Are you focused on something small in your life that you're missing out on something big that God's doing? Are you too focused on something small that you're like, God can't? You know, I think the way we see this play out in our life is like, hey, God's called me to, to do some form of ministry. It doesn't mean you have to be up here. It can be working with kids. It can be greeting. It can be whatever. God's called me to share my story with people in my community group. But then you go, ah, no, you know, I have a really bad past. I've done things that I really wish I hadn't done that I really regret. And God, he's not talking to me when he says that. You miss out on taking part of something bigger, being part of a story, letting God use that because we're too focused on something small that we miss the whole picture. We miss the whole picture. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I know it's hard. I mean, I said our faith should be the same with the tomb. Because we see Martha's faith kind of change, right? She's, I know you can do everything, and then we get to the tomb. It's like, ah, let's not open that. And some of you guys are here, and you're looking at a tomb. You know what I'm saying? So some of you guys are here with hard decisions ahead. And, and I know that. Some of you guys have told me that. Some of you guys have big decisions, hard things that you're looking down. And so it's, it's, it's easy for me to get up here and say, hey, our faith should be the same at the tomb as it is on the road. But I'm just, I want to encourage you today. 
that the heart of our God is the same on the road as it is at the tomb, that his plan is the same on the road as it is at the tomb, that his goodness does not change. Uh, one, a quote that I've always held on to in all hard times of my life from Charles Spurgeon says this, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. Um, our faith should be the same at the tomb. And then last point today, number three, God is in control. God is in control. Um, in verse 33, uh, it, it says that uh, when Jesus sees Mary crying and, and the others around him, that he is deeply moved, troubled in spirit. In this culture, um, I can't, it's, it's not, uh, grief is not something that we see in America. So it's different. The only thing I can, when I was reading this, and Mike might totally be over there shaking his head, the only thing I could relate it to was like a New Orleans funeral. And what I mean is like, if you've ever seen a New Orleans funeral, they have loud music, and it's almost like a celebration. And I don't mean it like that, but what I mean is there's a ton of people, and they come to mourn together. And so in this culture, when, when, some, when a family member died, I mean, distant relatives, people you may never see come in, and they mourn, they weep, they cry, they all are together to mourn. And the Bible says that when Jesus shows up and he sees all of this, all these people crying, all these people mourning, it's been four days now, and they're just broken, the Bible says that he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. And that's nice. But to know what that says, to know what that means, and it changes everything, is to look at the Greek word. And the Greek word used for that literally means the snort of a war horse. And if we were to translate it, it means anger, fury, outrage. And that changes how it says, right? It changes from like he was deeply troubled and moved. It's like he was furious. That when Jesus shows up and he sees all the brokenness, all the crying, all the despair, that he's angry. And his first thing is, where have you laid him? Isn't that good? That changes how we see Jesus. He goes, okay, I see what's going on here. I'm going to go fix it. Where is the body? Where is the body? Um, one of the, the uh, commentaries I read said, the public chaos surrounding him, the loud wailing and crying, the scene of the cemetery and its reminding of death, all the result of sin, together produce an outrage in the Son of God as he works to reverse the damage. It's like we see Jesus come to the... It's, I mean, you know, Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's hard for us to get our, our mind wrapped around this. But in, when I read this, this is one of those scenes that we see where Jesus shows up and his, his humanity comes through to me. Because he looks and his friends are broken and people are crying and he's just like, I have to fix this. This is not okay. And it's really cool because this is not supposed to be a, a prep sermon for Easter, but it's really cool because it's like in this moment, he's like, no, no more, no more. No more. In a few weeks, actually in a few months after this, he's going to go to the cross and die again to fight death and beat it again. But when we look at the story and we remember that God was outraged and he goes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. Take the grave clothes off him. Set him free. And we look back at everything that took place. We see a God who was working the entire time. Even in the delay, waiting four days so that everyone knew it was the power of God that did this stretching Mary and Martha's faith, seeing all these people that had come from all over, and now they were going to witness the power of Jesus and his changing grace. 
and they were going to give their lives to him. Working all these things together, God was always in control. The outcome was always known. Verse 4, this will not end in death. He knew what was going to happen, working all things together for the good of those that were following. Um, I read a, a few years ago, I got super into the C.S. Lewis books, um, The Chronicles of Narnia. And if you've never, if, if I say Chronicles of Narnia, and you think of a uh, like early 2000s uh, movie that came out, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, then I would, man, I would say, go read those books. Because it's so much better. I think there are six or seven books. They're, they're so good. Um, and C.S. Lewis was a Christian. And so uh, the books have such symbolism in them. Such symbolism. They're so, so good. And, and there's a lot of uh, times that I'll read them, and I will get a uh, sermon illustration from them, like this morning. And one of my favorite books in the whole series is a book called The Boy and the Horse. And I'm about to, if, if you haven't read the book, or if you're reading the book, or if you want to read the book, you can earmuff it, because I'm about to tell you about it. But this book came out in 1954, so I don't feel that bad. You've had plenty of time to, to read it by now. <clears throat> but in the book, um, there's this boy, he's an orphan, and uh, he showed up at, he, he was raised by this fisherman. And the way the fisherman found him was that a boat, he was out fishing at midnight, and a boat drifted up to him, and inside the boat was a little baby. And so he took the boy, and he raised the boy, and he wasn't good to the boy. It wasn't like he loved him. Um, but this was, you know, it kept him alive. And this was a land that's next to Narnia. So it's not in Narnia. Um, Narnia is a good place. This is a, a different land that was actually a, an enemy kingdom of Narnia. And so the boy's growing up, not really loved, always looking at the stars, thinking there's something better. And one day this evil man shows up with a, evil rich man with a, with a, a horse, beautiful horse, shows up and stays the night with the fisherman because he was just traveling through. And the boy hears the man talking to the fisherman and is like, finds out that he's going to be sold to this man into slavery. That the fisherman's going to sell the boy into slavery, and that'll be it. He's going to go live in slavery to this evil man. So he goes out, and he's very, he has a lot of despair, and he doesn't know what to do, and all of a sudden the horse starts talking to him. And in Narnia, in the land of Narnia, the horses can talk. Animals can talk, but everywhere else they can't. And the horse says, I'm from Narnia. I'm a war horse that, that was taken from Narnia. Um, we have to go to Narnia. We have to escape. Get on my back. We'll, 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 we'll run to Narnia. And he t- they talk about it, and so they agree to, and they, they, they go on this grand adventure through the book, right, trying to get to Narnia. Um, and they find out on the trip that, that this enemy country is going to try to trap the Narnians and invade. And so now they have to go warn Narnia because they know that if they don't, they're going to, you know, the, the king and all of his people will die. And so they, they have this grand adventure, and they, they see all different things. But one thing the boy always talks about is his fear of lions. Because not growing up in Narnia, he hears about these lions that live in Narnia. These giant lions, these scary lions. And in the book, um, the lion is, is named Aslan, and he's symbolic for Jesus. And so throughout, you know, they're, they're trying to get there, and they're running ahead of this evil army, and all of a sudden a lion comes out behind him and starts chasing him. In fact, he pushes them so hard that the horse ends up being injured, but they get in time to get away from the enemy people so they can warn them, but now the horse is hurt. The horse can't keep going, so the boy has to walk at night to try to get to the kingdom to warn the king, Okay? And so he's walking at night, and he's tired, he's alone, he's walking along, and it says all of a sudden he hears somebody beside him. He could feel it first, and he hears something. And it's just, he said he could tell it was these huge paws walking next to him in the darkness. He couldn't see it. And then he could hear this breathing, big, deep breathing walking alongside him. He was terrified. He was shaking. 
and um, says that he says, he finally works up the courage to say, who are you? And the lion says, I'm one who has been waiting for you to speak. And uh, here's what the lion says. I was the lion. I was the lion who forced you to join with the horse. I was the lion who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new strength of fear for that last mile so that you could reach the king in time. And I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed a boat to shore at midnight where a man slept to receive you. And that's the God we serve. It's a God that walks along in the darkness with us, that paces, that we don't understand. He's doing things that we don't, we don't comprehend, but things to build us up and to give us a hope and a future. And that's what this story is. If I read this story, I think of, that, think of this, this story in the Chronicles of Narnia about a God who is doing bigger things than we think. That we look at the delay and we look at, and God's going, no, I have something better. I have something better for you. I'm leading you to it. I don't know, you know, a few months after this story, just a few months after this story, we see Jesus go to the cross. And he goes and he fights death again on the cross. One last time. And I have to think, when I read this story, that Jesus thought about this scene. That he thought about the hurt in his friends, that he thought about the brokenness, and that he looked around and he said, these people have no hope. Death has, death has a hold on their life. They cannot defeat this. And he went to the cross for us. And this wasn't supposed to be a sermon that prepped us for Easter, but, but it's, it's coming. Easter's coming. And as Christians, that's a good thing. We look to Easter as a time of hope. Of hope that we, hope that we don't understand. Right? Hope that chooses us. That looks in a crowd of faces and says, I choose you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. That I choose you. That I redeem you. That I want you. I call you. I don't know where you are this season as we turn to Easter. You know, you may feel like Mary and Martha as we come to Easter and you said, I've been praying and I've been looking for God and I just haven't found him. I feel abandoned. I feel forgotten. I don't know where God is. Right? God is there. And this Easter, my hope is that God reveals himself to you in a new way, a powerful way. You might be like Martha and say, you know, I believe in God, but I just don't see how he can make this thing happen. I think he wants to use me. I think he wants to do something big, but it just doesn't make sense. I can't, just can't give him my full faith right now. My prayer is that this Easter, that God would, would turn your heart to see the glory of God, that he still does miracles, that he still does big things in our lives, and that he calls you to take part in this story. And you might just be sitting there saying, I don't even know if I believe God. Things have gone so wrong in my life. My wife made me come here. My husband made me come here. I just dragged myself here. My hope is that God would reveal himself to you in Easter and show you that he is a living king. That he takes on death in the story. He takes on death on the cross for you. To save us. So that death has no power on us. That as Christians that we can look and say, death, where is your sting? Because our king holds up the keys to it. Let me pray for you this morning.
And Father God, I thank you that I thank you that you give us a story from so long ago that that reminds us of who you are. God, I thank you that that your delay doesn't mean your denial. I thank you that um, that we can have faith in you to do fantastic things in our life. And God, I thank you that you are in control. That God, in the dark times in our life, when we don't understand, that we know we can have faith that you are there. That we can trust your heart in hard times. And so, God, as we look to Easter, as we turn our hearts to start looking at this incredible hope that's coming that we have, God, I pray that you would move on us. That God, the people who who need to remind need to be reminded of your goodness. That God, you would move. That Father, this Easter would be different. This Easter would be special. That God, it wouldn't be just another Easter eggs and and candy and and busyness. But God, it would be life change. That God, you would remind us of your grace and your mercy and your love that chases us, that follows us, that stays with us and calls to us in the darkness. God, I just I'm thankful for who you are today, God. And I pray that you'd be here with us. Pray this in your name. Amen.